What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Project Fast Break. Today is a special episode. I have a guest on today. I have Eli. Uh, say what's up. Hey, everyone. Uh, nice to be on the, the podcast. It's really exciting. Yeah, so for today we're going to be talking about a lot of NBA stuff. We might be getting to some NFL later on in the episode. But I kind of wanted to start off with the Houston Rockets and how small ball has been working for them mm-hmm. over in restart because it's been really working very well for them. They haven't won all their games, of course. Only one team has won all their games. That's the Suns. <laughs> yes. And they just, they just won against OKC a few minutes ago. I was watching that game. Hmm. And they're playing really good. But uh, a guy I really want to talk about on Houston is Robert Covington. Mm-hmm. Robert Covington. He's a really big part of that Houston team. Mm-hmm. Since he's he's obviously undersized for what he does on the team. He's about like six seven, six six ish. And he's guarding centers and power forwards who are six ten, six eleven, seven feet tall. And he's doing a really good job guarding them. Uh they played the, the Lakers a few games ago without LeBron, of course. And he him and PJ Tucker where he was guarding Anthony Davis for a large portion of that game. And they they, they did a really good job with them. You'd expect uh, Anthony Davis going against guys who are 6'7", 6'6", 6'5", to go and drop 30-plus points. He didn't, he didn't get 30. He only dropped, like, what, 20 points, 20-something? 20 <laughs> he didn't He didn't play that well against them, especially without LeBron. And it's, it's largely due to the work that they did on the defensive end and defensive rebounds as well because Anthony Davis, if he got a ton, a ton of offensive rebounds, he was going to eventually score those mm-hmm. shots, but they did a good job getting those rebounds and stopping, making it difficult for him to score. They didn't completely stop him, but they made it difficult, which is what they have to do at their size. And they did it very well. They did it very well. And they, they continuously did well against bigger centers and power forwards in the league. And those are guys I really think that are very intricate parts of this Houston Rockets team for it to work. Yeah. Well, uh, what are your thoughts about it? Yeah, so like basically what I was doing before the podcast was kind of combing through basketball reference. And one thing that really stood out to me was um, like Houston really knew what they were giving up when they when they made that big Capella trade. Um, so like, you know, obviously the rebounding has gone down a lot. But like in terms of like the points that they put up, it's basically the exactly exactly the same. Like as you said, like they could still play really, uh, really good defense. And one thing that has gone up a lot is, like, their steals. I mean, it's a smaller sample size. Yeah, it's smaller sample size due to the pandemic. Like, we didn't have a lot of uh, games since after the trade deadline. But still, like, you know, Covington has contributed, like, really well defensively. And if you just look at their shooting numbers, like, Houston's true shooting percentage is, like, I don't know, over 10%, like 50% better than the league average. It's, it's, it's incredible. Really. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like what a lot of teams do wrong when they go up against Houston is that they always try to dump the ball into the center since they're undersized defensively there. Mm-hmm. But Houston knows that these teams are going to do that. So they, they uh, D'Antoni has kind of emphasized that part of the defensive end, he, he does. He's not a defensive coach, but he's kind of emphasized, "Hey, yo, if they're trying to give the ball, dump that ball into the center, you're gonna get your hands active, make your hands active, and try to steal the ball." And they do it well. Robert Covington's averaging 
uh, 1.5 steals a game and 2.2 blocks a game at six, what six 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 seven, mm-hmm. and he he's a, he's a I mean, he's an elite defender, but he's guarding four tall forwards and and centers doing averaging 1.5 steals and 2.2 blocks a game, so that's that's why it's so difficult to score on this team because they're just so active defensively with their hands that just cause a lot of turnovers, which kind of makes up for the rebounding difference that they that they have since if you cause a lot of turnovers the team doesn't even get a chance to to shoot the ball to even attempt to score which is probably better than even getting a rebound so that's why it really helps them to be such an elite defensive and offensive team because of that their their turnover turnover ratio and percentage that they're able to do to other teams yeah and one thing i was kind of thinking through like as i was thinking about these stats were like um Comparing them to uh, the Philadelphia, Philadelphia, right, Seventy Sixers, because like they're kind of mm-hmm. the exact opposite, where they're just a bunch of <laughs> mammoth human beings, um, and you can see that you know they can't really shoot at all. Um, it's kind of crazy because like the Sixers, like they they're like you know top seven in the league defensively, but it still isn't good enough because they're like you know bottom half of the league offensively, like they just have a terrible offense. Whereas Houston is top three in the league in offense. They just blow people out, and they're just about average. They're 14th uh, for defensive rating in the league. So even if they give up tons of points, um, they, they'll still just beat you with threes. Yeah, they have a ton of three-point shooters on that team. Everybody yeah. on, the, on the court can shoot at yeah. almost, almost all the time. There's hardly ever a time where there's, no one, there's someone on the court for Houston that can't shoot the ball at a high percentage. Yeah. I guess the only yeah, thing I think we're all... the only thing to kind of think about, which is kind of like what the like uh, kind of older analysts like I, I watch a lot of PTI, what they would say is that things are a little bit different in the playoffs. Where you know what happens if um, there are things that are called a foul now that aren't called a foul in the playoffs, and you know that three point shooting gets a little bit harder. I hear what they're saying, but mm-hmm. uh, what Houston does a lot is they 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 run they run fast. They're a very fast team yeah. because they cause a lot of turnovers. Mm-hmm. So if they're able to continuously uh, cause turnovers in the playoffs, I think the fact that maybe they might not get as many foul calls mm-hmm. or that they might not hit as many is not going to matter as much, especially since they have Westbrook who isn't really a three-point shooter, but because he causes so much attention in the paint, he can go and get, get you points in the paint. Like, they're not only a three-point shooting team. Yeah. Like, they they shoot threes and get layups. That's their yeah. main uh, objective. So the threes aren't falling. They will go and get their two points in the paint, and that's, which is also very high. And that's what the shot. trade did, right? Like, the trade unlocked Westbrook because now, um, you know, you don't have this big man Capella standing in the paint. It's all spaced out, and so... You know, Westbrook gets to just drive to the rim and he's just, you know, one of the best point guard finishers at the rim, if not the best. Maybe all time. Yeah, yeah, right. He's in an incredible finisher at the rim. Yeah. And that's what, that's, I think that's what a piece that they're really missing a few years back, especially when he made it to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah. It was like two years, two years ago or so. Or year, was it last year? I think they made it to the Western Conference Finals last year. Yeah, they did against Golden State when they had that injury mm-hmm. with Kevin Durant. Yeah. And they weren't able to close it out. Yeah. But two years in a row, uh, right? Yeah, two years in a yeah. row. They're they've made it deep in the playoffs. They just haven't been yeah. able to get to the finals. That if that's really one of the reasons that they haven't been able to get far, because when those threes aren't falling, 
what else do you have to go to? Exactly. But now, but now uh, with Westbrook, mm-hmm. you can get those two point shots, and and James Harden has been going into the paint a lot more, driving in and being a lot yeah. more aggressive, driving and stuff, taking as many threes as he usually would. Yeah. And he's ha- he's having the fifteenth best best scoring season of all time right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is. And he, this is this is not even his first one. He's already had another one. He had, last season was already a top twenty-one. He has another one that was that's top sixty of all time. He's an elite scorer, yeah. so he will get yeah. his points no matter what. At the foul line, you know, from beyond the arc, but, and he and he also sets up guys. Everybody else well. isn't getting their foul calls. He will yeah. get his foul calls. Yes, so he's just he's just an elite. Uh, it was he's just able to draw fouls at an elite level that no one else in the game is able to do. Yeah, where he just just get points no matter what. Yeah, and and with the fact with the if the threes aren't falling, I don't think that's going to be a problem for them in the playoffs. To be honest, because since West was going to draw so much attention in the paint, mm-hmm. there's going to be guys open for threes, and since they're such a good elite three point shooters, they. They're only going to be cold for so long if you keep leaving them open on the three point line. They're eventually going to make their shots. They're not going to. They're not going to be shooting like how they did last year with Westbrook on the floor. It's just not going to happen. Because because yeah. uh, last year I think they shot like three for twenty or something in a game for the yeah. three. But with Westbrook on the floor, it's going to be really difficult when you have so many wide open threes. It's going to be difficult for these very good three point shooters to miss these shots. It's just going to be like that. Yeah, and like I guess it, the three point shot it's it's so variable because they only um, shoot you know forty threes a game let's say so it adds so much variance to the game so like you know the difference between you making like twenty one threes versus you know twenty three that could be win or loss because that's like you know six points right there right so it's it's a huge huge variance in like your your three point shooting percentage like the difference between them shooting thirty one percent versus like thirty six percent. Can be a difference between a win or loss, and uh, depending on how deep Houston, for for Houston to get deep in this playoffs this year, yeah, it's all going to depend on who they match up with in the first and second rounds. Yeah, and, like, it's really crucial on that because if they end up dropping down to like the seventh seed, yeah, now they got to go against the Clippers in the first round. <laughs> Clippers are probably the best team equipped to stop Houston. Yeah, because they have a t- two long. Probably the best defenders in the league right now in Kawhi and Paul George at wings who are six seven, six six. Mm-hmm. And they're gonna be able to stop whoever you put on them. I mean, they're one of them Paul George probably gonna guard uh, James Harden, mm-hmm. which uh, but he's gonna do a good job on him. Hopefully James Harden doesn't hit a game winner in his <laughs> uh, in his face this time, this year. That but, would be a nightmare then, scenario for them. Oh my gosh! Every year, Paul George is a game winner hit hit on him. It's just, it's just, it's, just, it's and it's always good defense too. Which yeah, it's funny because he always plays good defense on it, and they just make the shot. Yeah, I think this is probably going to be their year, though. Like it's, it's going to be between the Clippers and the Lakers. Although I wouldn't count out my Raptors, but you know. Yeah, I, I think the Raptors and Bucks have a they can because the Raptors and Bucks are the top two teams defensively in the league. Mm-hmm. If you just look at stat stat wise, they're the two best defensive teams in the league, uh, and the way they play team basketball, it's it's going to be yeah. really hard for any of those LA teams to stop them. It's going to be really interesting Eastern Conference Finals game if they can if Raptors and Bucks make it there again. Mm-hmm. That'll be really fun to watch. 
I think Raptors and Miami would be a really fun series to watch. That's that's a that's a fun one I would definitely watch. Yeah, and Raptors and Miami. They have very similar mentalities. Yeah, uh, as team wise, so it'd be fun to watch that one. It, it's always you, fun to watch Jimmy Butler. Like he's just uh, you know they call him a junkyard dog. Like he just go he goes to win. You know he plays to win. I don't know who, who like he. I don't know who they would who would he would guard on the Raptors though. Because are you gonna put him on six ten Pascal? Or are you gonna put him on OG? But OG's not that big no, threat yeah. of a sword. He probably so, kind of like he probably will move around and probably go on Lowry a little bit. They might they might have like a zone type of mm-hmm. defense. They That's what play. they usually play actually. Yeah, Miami they play the most zone in the league. Yeah, Raptors mm-hmm. Raptors have an interesting defense. I actually have. When I was talking about the coach of the year a few episodes ago on mm-hmm. my podcast, I was actually talking about how their defense works. And, like, they usually have one player at the top of the key, two players at the wings of the free throw line, and then two, two players in the corners kind of playing a zone type of. So they'd have three players at the top playing man and then two players in the corner playing zone. Mm-hmm. And they just switch. They start switching. And it's basically built to stop a Giannis drive because the three players at the top are built to stop any player from driving into the paint. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of forcing them to throw it out to the three-point line where the other player is playing zone. So whoever they pass the three the, the ball to, that person can go and contest a shot. And, help. and if they make an extra pass, another one of those players at the wings that was playing at the top can go run on the corner and then go help there as well. So it's it's a really brilliant defense from Nick Nurse. I was analyzing it. I was like, God, oh, this is mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. Um, and then... The Bucks defense as well is really good. I was also analyzing their defense. So, and they play. Uh, they allow both Raptors and Bucks allow some of the most. Raptors allow the most threes, threes. against them in the yeah. NBA. And the Bucks are also also like top five, top ten in allowing threes in the NBA as well. Mm-hmm. But teams shoot the worst percentage in the league against the Raptors from the three point line. The teams aren't able to shoot the three against Raptors very well. It's, mm-hmm. it's difficult to shoot threes against them. It's because Nick Nurse taught them to contest shots. Yeah, They they do a lot of running contest, mm-hmm. but but they do it properly. A lot of teams, do, a lot of players might do a running contest, but they don't do it properly. They would run into the player. Mm-hmm. They do a running contest, and they make sure they get out of the way of the shooter. So they just drop contest, foul. Contest the face or the, 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 where the ball is, mm-hmm. and they get out of the way so they can't, the player can't draw a foul. Yeah, and the Bucks do something similar to that, but since they have a lot of their the defenders in the paint to try to stop the drive, and they don't have a lot of perimeter defenders out there, so whoever is guarding on the perimeter usually get um gets screened, and the player would shoot a three. But what when happens there, they run around the screen and contest from behind either the the face or the arms of the shooter to make it very difficult. Hmm. And since they're contesting it from behind the player. There's almost no way the player is going to be able to see them to even try to like go into their body and contest a three unless they're like James Harden or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's a smart strategy because you know, like the NBA is all dunks and threes now, so you have to try to take away one of those. And like the Raptors and the Bucks have decided, all right, let's wall off the paint and let's just allow threes, which are you know um, a harder shot. Like it's a less uh, less percentage shot, less likely to go in, especially if you're contesting them. And what I find interesting between both teams, though, like even if it's a, a bad three point shooter, they will still go and contest that shot very <laughs> hard. Like even, you could be a twenty six percent three point shooter, and they'll run at you and try to contest it like you're Steph Curry wide open. <laughs> it's, it's 
they make sure that you don't get an easy shot. If you, you might you might be open for one, you might get one nice open shot in the entire game, but every other shot you take is going to be very heavily contested, mm-hmm. which is why they're, they're just such good defensive teams, and they win a lot of games like that, both the Raptors and Bucks. And a lot, I feel like a lot of people are surprised at how well the Raptors are doing since if you look mm-hmm. at other teams, especially they have a better record than the Clippers, and you're like, what? The Raptors have a better record than the Clippers? The Clippers have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. That doesn't make yeah. sense. It's because the way they play as a team. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the Raptors, the Raptors have a ton of injured players throughout the season mm-hmm. and really could have had a record better than the Lakers and rivaling the Bucks if, if they had all their players healthy for the entire season. It really, they really could have had a record as good as the Bucks. It really shows you the importance of like playing as a team because like even the Clippers with um, all like the rest that Kawhi has had and stuff, like they just they haven't played well as a team, and so they're not playing to kind of like their their actual talent level. Same with yeah. um, well, same with the Rockets kind of in the beginning of the year, and then they made this big trade. Yeah, the, the Rockets. I'm I'm happily surprised with. With their team, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how deep of a run they can make though. It's it's kind of interesting. It all depends on certain matchups. Because now it de- yeah now it depends on the seating. Like if they would if they were like fourth in the West, I think it'd be completely different. But because they're yeah. you know yeah if yeah if they run into the Clippers, they're probably gonna get out the first round. Yeah, but right now uh, the Mavericks are the seventh seed, which I would that would be an interesting matchup as well. With the Clippers, uh, yeah. that would be interesting. That with Luka Doncic, how he would play against such elite defensive wings. Yeah. Paul George or Kawhi would be guarding him, and so like, how is he going to deal with that? He, they and played for, a few nights ago. Yeah, they did, but yeah. I feel like it's going it's to be much different in the playoffs. Yeah. 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 the Clippers are able to get Montrez back. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a whole different type of series. Mm-hmm. And Lou. Lou Lou's back right now, but he's kind of he's trying to get trying to get back to his regular game form. Yeah. So he's missing a couple shots that he normally would make. Yeah. Once he gets back to sweet baby Lou, yeah, uh, it's, it's gonna be difficult to stop him. Yeah, it's gonna be difficult to stop. Him. Yeah, and then the East is kind of just like you know, Raptors, Miami, and the Bucks, and everyone else is kind of whatever, and maybe the Pacers. Boston, Boston has a chance, and Bo- and Boston, yeah. Especially with Brad Stevens as their coach, I would never rule out Boston. Yeah. And Tatum took a big leap this year, right? So I'm not sure about Tatum this year. <laughs> I feel like in the next two years, I would definitely feel like Tatum can lead a team to yeah, carry a final team. championship. Hmm. But right now, I think, especially if you look at all the players around him, it's really helping him to have the type of numbers he's having. Yeah. Walker and so, Brown. and Yeah. Yeah, because uh, with... With with the players he's having right now, it's just going to be a much lot easier for him to get average what he's averaging. And if you look at uh, uh, Jason Tatum's uh, stats, they're very similar to Pascal's right now. Like there's, it's almost one for one the same. Hmm. Really? Yeah. It, it, they're they're probably stat wise, they're probably the most similar players in the NBA right now. Mm-hmm. But and Pascal gets to play up, like he gets to play as a power forward, and he like probably handles the ball even a little bit more. But if you look at their play styles, it's very different. Though. Mm-hmm, exactly, so, yeah. Jason Tatum has like a lot of ball handling skills where he handles the ball a lot more. Where Pascal, he plays off the ball yeah. a lot more. Even though he does ball handling, ball handling, he can dribble, get to the basket, do all those stuff. Yeah. If you look at the level of ball handling between them, 
Jason Tatum's a much better ball handler, and mm-hmm. he does a lot more step back threes. I'm gonna try I to take you off the dribble, yeah. all the type of stuff. Where Pascal gets all his points off of fast breaks, offensive yeah. rebounds. I'm gonna go my back to the basket, to the post, do a yeah. nice little one-two move, spin move, get a layup. Uh, so their games are very different, but their stats are almost the same. So yeah. it, it it's interesting how like players can have such different play styles, but their stats look so similar. It's like, oh, yeah. these guys must play very similar to each other from just like an outside looking in and you watch them play it's like what mm-hmm. and I, I love what like the raps did with um pascal this year like giving him more control of the ball like i just love the idea of inverted kind of pick and rolls where like the big like pascal is uh is um holding the ball in the pick and roll and like you know trying to pop out to a to like a lowry or to, to another shooter i just think it's, it's brilliant like the way he can handle the ball makes your like options on offense just there's so many more. I'm I'm excited for OG because mm-hmm. for the past couple of years I've been I've been watching OG. I'm just like I want him to be more aggressive. I want him to be more aggressive. I'm, yeah. And the the first game against the Lakers when he dropped 23 points, I was like I finally saw some aggressiveness from him on the offensive end. Yeah. And I was like, yo, this is the OG I've been wanting to see for the past like two years. And I was just so excited to see it. Cause I'm like, man, I haven't seen this from OG being so aggressive in games. Because he can get these type of points if he just yeah. is more aggressive and asserts himself more on the offensive end. Because he has all the tools in the, in the tool set. He has all the tools that he needs. Yeah. But he just doesn't really use them. Yeah. I don't know if it's a lack of confidence or what, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But when I saw that, it can give me a glimpse of what he can be if he just becomes more aggressive yeah. on the offensive end. But even if he's but, just like a lockdown 3 and D guy, then he's just, he's, uh, I mean, he's a huge piece of the team. Yes, for sure. If he if he can just be a, th- a three and D guy just mm-hmm. by just that alone, he is going to be huge. Yeah. But he he just has so much more to his game that he can use, especially when he puts his back to the basket and gets into that that mode. Mm-hmm. He he can do a lot of stuff. He can do a lot of stuff on the offensive end. He just but doesn't really use it. It definitely is a confidence thing. Like I remember, like last year especially, there'd be some times where he was open and he'd like pass up a three or something, and I would just like I'd be screaming like, "Come on, OG, shoot!" But yeah, like sometimes if he's not feeling it, I think he just kind of he's like, "Here, you guys take care of it." It, it he really does remind me of a young Kawhi a lot. <laughs> he really does because if you look at Kawhi when he was younger, yeah, um, with that San Antonio team with like the Ginobili's and Tim Duncan's and all those guys, uh, he wasn't really a big part of the offense. He was only getting like what 10, 11, 12 points yeah, a game. Yeah, he deferred average. a lot. But he was, but he was the lockdown defender that they put on the best player, like what OG does. Yeah. Um. But as as those guys, when Ginobili and those guys left, and it was his team now, yeah. we saw him explode offensively, averaging 20-plus points a game. And everyone's like, yo, this guy, he can lock down anybody, and then now he can give you 20-plus points, defensive player of the year. And that's when he got all these accolades, and people start to respect him as a top guy in the league. Yeah. Once, he, once he was the guy and the team trusted him, which gave him a lot of confidence on the offensive end to go out there and actually shoot the ball and do all these things. And, and I think it's the same thing for OG. He just doesn't have that confidence. And I think the team doesn't quite trust him enough yet to get let him have let make those mistakes offensively and live with it. Yeah. Because Kawhi had those, those chances to make those mistakes offensively and live with those mistakes and, and keep improving. Because uh, he, needs, he needs to be able to make those mistakes offensively and, and become a better player. I feel like that's what he really needs to do. Great point. Yeah, because eventually, you know, Lowry's probably going to leave in a couple of years. It's going to be, you know, Fred and 
Pascal and OG's team with Powell. So he's going to he's going to eventually have a bigger role in the offense. So it yeah, he, he needs to, you know, take his lumps now. Yeah, I feel like he like, not in the playoffs right now. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully in the beginning of next season, we, but, we start seeing him get more opportunities offensively. Yeah, yeah. or and, even these next few games, like we've already wrapped up the second seed, so yeah. maybe now's the time to like kind of you know let him loose. Yeah, we we could we could we could start saying, "Yo, Pascal, we're gonna sit you for this game. Yeah. OG, yeah. you're starting. We're gonna be giving you the ball. We're gonna, you're gonna take twenty shots this game. Yeah, we're gonna allow you to make mistakes and do all the stuff." This is the time to experiment, for sure. For exactly. Sure. Yeah. Norm, I just want to see Norman start making his shots regularly again now. Yeah. He's, he's been really off since he's came, since he's come back, but he has missed like five months, six months of basketball. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to be too hard on him. But I, I wanted to start seeing him get back into his rhythm, shooting the ball. But I know he can do that. I I love Norm. Like he's, I almost want to call him like a mini. Um... Uh, what's his name? Uh, junkyard dog, like uh, Mini Butler. He's not as good defensively, but the way like you could see like he really competes and stuff, and he's good, you know, inside and outside. Like, he he can he can drive and kick and dunk, or he can shoot the three as well. Like he's a really good um, versatile player. Yes, he is. He's he's very versatile. Mm-hmm. He kind of reminds me of uh, I can't remember this guy's name right now. Uh well, I can't remember his name right now, so I'm not gonna, okay. I'm not gonna say that. Old but, player? Hmm? Like an older player, like a historical player? Yeah, like, an, okay. an, an older player. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, he's he's a he's a really good shooter. Though. He's a, especially in the fourth quarter, he makes a lot of a lot of threes for the Raptors in, mm-hmm. in clutch moments. Just gets buckets. Yeah, he has no fear. Yeah, ice in his veins. Yeah, it doesn't matter who who's guarding me. I'll take this shot yeah. and I'm gonna make it in your face. I'm, yeah. The opposite of OG in that way, and like even if Norm missed his past five uh, shots, he's still gonna take a shot and think it's gonna go in. Whereas OG gets a little bit more, you know, nervous and stuff. Norm, he yeah. like he's he's confident with himself. He has a shooter's mentality. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, with uh, well, I want to talk about some of these these guys who've been surprising me in this restart with like mm-hmm. Gary Trent Jr., Michael Porter Jr., TJ Warren. I want to talk about those guys. Yeah. They've been really surprising me. Gary Trent Jr. is leading the, the restart in threes made. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I, I never thought Gary Trent Jr. was going to be the guy leading the leading in threes in the restart. That's, that's the last person I would have thought of. Yeah. And yeah. I, didn't really, I didn't really know him that well before. The restart. I, I heard his name before and all this type of stuff, but I never really knew him. Mm-hmm. Now I'm getting a chance to know this guy and... This is only his second season in the league, and he's if he can continue this type of production, he could be a really good player for Portland in the future. Yeah, I don't think I don't know. It, it's it's hard to say. Like even like um, uh, what what's the guy on the Pacers? Uh, TJ Warren. TJ Warren. Like it's like I don't know. He comes back after the break, and now he's averaging over thirty points a game. It's like I don't know if he can. I don't. I don't think he'll keep doing that next year, but. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it, it's such a small sample size that size that it's like it, it's unexplainable. I think it it is a small sample size for sure. But with TJ Warren, I think he's probably the most likely out of those three players mm-hmm. to continue something similar to this. Next I agree. Season. Since yeah. he's already averaging 
like 19, 20 points a game. Like yeah. before the restart, he was already averaging that much. So to say he can't now average like 25 points a game, I think he can yeah. boost it up to like around that 25, yeah. around ish points a game yeah. next season. Yeah. I think that's very possible. Yeah, that would be if, fair. if yeah. Victor Oladipo starts playing like how he usually plays, I'm not sure about that either because he had a chance to actually get more shots and do more stuff in the offense since Victor wasn't mm-hmm. playing the entire season. Yeah. But if Victor gets back to his old self from 2018, 20, like back then when he was when he first came to Indiana, yeah, he might not be able to get the same type of production out of him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Pacers are an interesting team. Like uh, this year, you know, Vic's a little bit hurt, so it's it's hard to you know count them as like true contenders. But next year, I think uh, like they they have, they got a good team there. With Sabonis made a leap this year, mm-hmm. they're a smart team. Yeah, they're 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 a very good team. Yeah, unlike some other teams in the NBA that aren't really teams, but it's a bunch of individuals. They're an actual team. Yeah, which is why they had so much success without Victor Oladipo because they they work well as a as a group together, and they're still able to win games and make give themselves a top five seed in the in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, which, and a lot of people might say, oh, they might not have this in the West, but I think they'd still be a very at least competing for playoff spots in the West for sure. Yeah, like they wouldn't be a bottom feeder, not winning any games. They'll definitely be winning games and contending for playoff spots. Would they be a f- fifth seed in the West? No. Yeah, but they would still be competing, like maybe an eighth, ninth seed in the West. I think that's very possible for them. Yeah, yeah. The West is just crazy though. Like the Mavs in seventh, where like there that that's a I love that team. Like uh, if I had to build, like if I was to build a team now. I would want like a Portazingus. Like who wouldn't? He's a he's a unicorn. He can shoot threes and he can block. Like I think the way that the NBA is going, if you can have like your big man stretch the floor like that, it and it's kind of like the opposite of what like you know teams like Houston, where it's very guard. Uh, their team is very based on the guards, very built by the guards. I would want to now like build from like a Portazingus or a Jaron Jackson Jr. who can like you know rip threes. I love Jaron Jackson Jr. Man. Yeah, like. <laughs> That Memphis team, uh, I love that. I love what they're doing there. I'm kind of sad that Jaron Jackson Jr. is not going to be able to play for them. Yeah. I was really rooting for him to make Keith this eighth seed. I'm not sure they're going to be able to do it now without Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah, yeah. Especially with how the Suns, Spurs, and, and Trailblazers are playing right now. Yeah. It's, it's going to one of those three teams at this point. Who do you think gets it? It's tough because the mm-hmm. Suns haven't lost a game. Mm-hmm. And Jaron Booker's had like 35 points. I guess OKC just a few in the last game they just played. Mm-hmm. Damian Lillard, we he did miss those two free throws against the Clippers, but mm-hmm. we know he what he can do. Yeah, and then the Martin Rosen has been playing absolutely amazing for the Spurs in the restart so far. They did lose that game to the Seventy Sixers, and I think they lost two games in the restart. But they have, and even in those games, they were close games, and they they barely lost, and they. They've won a lot of the games as well to keep get themselves in this position because they're only like what a game out, a game and a half out of the eighth seed. But the thing is, I think it's also going to depend on which team gets the eighth and ninth seed for yeah. the play in tournament. Because mm-hmm. so you think you think Memphis loses the eighth seed and it goes to like let's say Portland and Portland ends up playing let's say either either Phoenix or Spurs for it. But the thing is, I think Memphis even if they lose the eighth seed, they might still keep the ninth seed. Mm-hmm. That's so the Trailblazers will get the eight seed and they're in the nine seed. I don't think they're gonna win two games against no. the Trailblazers without yeah. Jim Jackson Jr. Yeah. So it would go to the Trailblazers. 
But if somehow if they if they just lose all their next games and the Suns keep winning and mm-hmm. they move to ninth seed, Trailblazers just moves to eighth seed. I think the Suns have a good chance of winning two games against them. Hmm. Yeah, that would be interesting to see. That would be the coolest kind of thing to see if if um, if like Memphis drops out of the ninth seed and we get like a two completely different teams playing a play. Yeah. But I think I think the Trailblazers probably end up you know sticking with the eighth and like beat whoever whoever's in the ninth. I think they'll go to the playoffs. I, mean, I love how the, the NBA is experimenting with a lot of stuff yeah. now. It's just a good time to experiment for them, to be honest. Because, like, exactly. are they going to say it's wrong? It's, it's a weird time in, in the NBA. So you can really just try new stuff that you haven't been able to try before, like a play-in tournament. Yeah. Because they, last season, they were actually talking about maybe having some kind of play-in tournament or an in-season tournament. Mm-hmm. And this could maybe be a preview to something like that that they could do in the future. Because the NBA is probably one of the most experimental lead leagues in the in the world. Because yeah. they, they like to change their stuff around a lot. Yeah. Especially look at how the, the NBA stuff started. The guys barely dribbled the ball. Who was shooting the ball? There, was, there wasn't even a three-point line. Mm-hmm. All that type of stuff. And just the way the game has evolved over the past 60, 80 years, it's been absolutely incredible to where, we at, where we're at now, to guys doing 10 dribbles, Breaking someone's ankles, doing a step back three, hitting in there—it's just—it's—it's yeah. it's crazy. And the campus so. thing has been like really cool. Like you know, this this unfortunately this this whole pandemic thing isn't going away anytime soon. I would kind of like to see like you know if next year they keep playing like this. Like why not? You know, like. the, the NBA threw out an idea that they could have each team would have a, their own individual bubble. Hmm. They threw out the idea. So when, like, for next season, mm-hmm. that like Toronto would be in Toronto, but they would have a bubble in Toronto, and all the teams would have a bubble, and it all they would do is travel from one bubble to another bubble, and just avoid all type of contact. Which I think is also possible, especially if they're trying mm-hmm. to get back to some kind of normalcy with the teams. Yeah, but they still, I don't think they would be able to have fans anyways. So yeah, I don't know exactly. If it really yeah. Makes it's going to be and another year at least until fans get back. Like Next season yeah. probably won't have fans either. Yeah, we're probably not going to have fans for at least half the season. Yeah, exactly. For at least half the season. I want to see what the NFL does, though, because uh, <laughs> they haven't really released, released that much information on what they're going to do yeah. when the season starts up. <laughs> so nobody really knows what's going to happen with the NFL. Like, Are they going to try to do a bubble like the NBA and NHL? Apparently not, no. Apparently they are doing a bubble or anything. It's crazy. Like they're, they're they have like sixty bed rosters. It's like and like just the way like you know you sweat on each other um, when you're playing basketball, but like when you're playing football, like you're literally grabbing guys and like falling on top of guys. Like you're like you're, you're like even like the way that like when you're touching the ball and stuff. I I don't know. I I don't see how they they'll be able to do it. It's gonna be crazy. They suggested some like mask guards or something, but. Yeah. I don't know how comfortable that's going to be. Exactly. Especially for the offensive linemen and defensive linemen. That's not going to be comfortable at all. Yeah, And mm-hmm. I'm a big um, baseball guy. I love baseball. And it's like MLB didn't do a bubble. And at first, they didn't see a lot of um, positives. And it seemed like, all right, like, like this is going to go well. And then you see, like, you know, half the fucking, like, half the Marlins got the disease. And they're running out, like, AAA players. Um, like, you know, there's been like outbreaks now over like two or three teams. So it's, 
it's it's scary stuff and i think like that's probably going to happen in the in the nfl too they're going to have like you know 20 players on a team that are going to test positive and what do you, like you know we'll see what happens like what they end up doing like what happens if a quarterback like whatever just throwing out like a aaron Rodgers, let's say gets COVID. like how how are the packers just supposed to how are they supposed to you know be competitive without their star quarterback Especially if you look, uh, they're they're, they're planning to shorten the season as well. Mm-hmm. And if you look at uh, the M beside the length of the NBA and NFL season, mm-hmm. they they have sixteen games in the regular season, and at most you're playing as twenty games if you make it all the way to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and there's only off. two teams that can make it to the Super Bowl. So, and then it's supposed to shorten the season, so it's gonna be even less games. So if a player does get COVID, that could literally end their season. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But if you look like with and the NBA has eight playing games. That's mm-hmm. already half of the regular NFL season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's half of what a regular NFL season is, and that's just eight playing games. The NBA the playoffs is longer than the NFL season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so if you if you get one case on a star player, that that really could just end your season right there for the NFL. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll see what happens, but. Uh, I don't know the the you know and the the, like, the I, players are like really like uh, they seem to be a little bit uh, angry at the league. Yeah, I heard OBJ was like uh, the, the, I don't remember the exact statement he <laughs> said, but he was very displeased with the owners. Yeah, with the NFL, but he did say he was gonna play. So I was like, how are you gonna say you're displeased with owners, <laughs> but you're gonna still play? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, the thing is, like, you know, the NFL versus the NBA is, like, their playing careers, like, on average, an, M- an NFL player plays, like, two years, you know? So, they have to, they really have to make their money when they can. They, they do, but OBJ is one of those guys, like, he's got to mm-hmm. make his money. Like, yeah. he, if, he, if he really decided, I'm not going to play the season, he didn't have to play the season. Yeah. Like, if, if his guys like that are saying, they're just pleased and they're still going to play, I'm just like, that's dumb. That's dumb. Mm-hmm. If it's like a rookie or a guy that's just coming into the league or he's a small name player, I could understand that. You're still gonna mm-hmm. play he's still need to get money. But if it's like a OBJ or, or or like some big name Cam if Cam Newton says something like that or some, any of those type of players, I'm like, that's just dumb. Yeah, like there's only like uh I think there's like sixty nine opt outs they said total. And I'm kinda I was surprised by that. I thought there'd be more to be honest. Uh, I'm I'm really interested. Like, are they gonna be traveling? Because we see what happened in the MLB. Yeah. So are maybe they might just maybe they might not travel. But yeah. it's possible they might not have a bubble. Like maybe they can stay in like a city or some kind of area. Or they can like I don't know I don't know. Like or they could have multiple bubbles like the uh, NBA um, like the NHL like they have two bubbles. It's interesting too because you know we still have about a month until it starts. So they still have time to, you know, make iron out some stuff, and and they do have. They've seen other leagues, like not only the NBA and NHL and MLB, yeah. but like international leagues, like the Premier League yeah. and all those European soccer clubs that have also started up. So they have a lot of things to go off of when they're restarting. Yeah, they probably have the best chance of success out of all the leagues that have started up so far, if they if they're smart with it. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm really interested though. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be weird though, especially with no fans in the NFL game. Cause I can, I can handle no fans in NBA game. Cause that's like watching, it's like going to a pickup game and playing. It's, it's normal, but watching an NFL game, 
like how are they gonna do the intros? They're gonna have the fireworks, all this stuff, and yeah. there's gonna be no any fans. And the whole yeah. like in the huddle, like you know, you're gonna be able to like hear people in the huddle and stuff. Like they're they're talking about doing a lot of um, no huddle offenses because yeah, like there's gonna be no noise to kind of distract you when you're calling stuff at the line of scrimmage and and whatnot. I feel bad for any of the deep th- deep threat wide receivers that they're gonna be doing a lot of running. Yeah. Yeah. Just imagine a DK Metcalf who's like, okay, run six yards down the field. Oh, the play didn't work out. You have to run six yards back and run six yards back again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's just, that's gonna be very tiring for the for the secondary for the secondary on defense and the wide receivers. Yeah. But you know, like those no huddle plays, they do a lot better. Like I did, I don't know, I did this quick like um, data thing where I was looking at like the difference in plays between like shotgun and like no huddle. And no huddle just you know you're you average a lot more yards if you do a no huddle kind of play. Just kind I just of I just want to I just want to see how that would go transpire over a course of an entire game. Yeah, yeah. Because maybe they might do some more subs even. Because the players are going to get tired if you just do it on no huddle the entire time. Yeah, and that puts a lot of onus on your QB. Like you need to have one of those, one of the great ones to, to be able to do that. Like Peyton, Peyton would have been the best at that. He would have picked some teams apart. I think I think the elite quarterbacks right now that we have in the league are going to be fine with, mm-hmm. with yeah. no huddle. Yeah, like the Patrick Mahomes, the Tom Brady's, the Aaron Rodgers. I think those guys are going to be fine with that type of stuff. Especially Russell Wilson. I think he's going to have a lot of fun. With no huddle, yeah, yeah, I agree. The defense have no ch- chance of stopping because he can throw the ball, he can run. What, what are they gonna do? They have no chance to prepare to try to stop that. Yeah, it'd be They're interesting might. how Lamar does because he's someone who's more like propped up by a system. Like he he has success because his system is so good. So it'd be interesting if he's calling a lot of no huddles. It might be a bit the harder. Thing, the thing is though, he can improvise, especially yeah. with his feet. Yeah. So. So he, we might see a lot more running from Lamar Jackson. Like, we, yeah. we saw a lot of running last year, but yeah. even more here. Yeah. Because especially with now being able to break. They might, or they, the, a coach can maybe, like when they're preparing for a game, have a, a certain set of plays that you can do for, like, each drive or whatever. That like, you might just give the quarterback so everybody just knows. And he's like, okay, we're doing sh- shotgun, blah, 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 whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Or or like in between, like when they're when they're on the bench and when the defense is out there, the coach might go to the quarterback and tell, say, okay, this is the amount of plays that we're gonna have for this drive for this type these situations that you might be in. 